Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Christoph van Houten and today I am joined by Burkhard Baltrush, professor of Lusophone Literature and the International José Saramago Chair at the University of Vigo. Hello, Burkhardt, and welcome. Hello, Christoph. And as the name of your chair reveals, Burkhardt, I am thrilled today to talk about Jose Saramago. Now, last year, we were able to assist in a strange phenomenon, and not just because of the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, there were a couple of older books that returned prominently on the bestsellers lists. There was obviously Daniel Defoe's book on the plague in London and Camus' novel The Plague. But most of all, there was Saramago's blindness. And almost an infinity of people rushed to read or reread this book in this troubled year. So you reread it, which is a very good thing. But more importantly, why do you think this was the case? And why do you think it was a good choice by those who did reread this book? Okay, of course. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, Christoph. Uh, first of all, for inviting me to do this podcast and uh, congratulations for the excellent job you are doing at the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking. Okay. And yes, of course, I last year I immediately came back to blindness <laughs> and I also made my students in Vigo read and discuss it. And I gave uh, a virtual open class lecture on it to other students in Bogota, Colombia, because I was very interested uh, in uh, seeing how they how they reacted to that book. Mm. And uh, of course, there were also other books that crossed my mind, but I feel um, that blindness is uh, far more interesting to reread in these times than the plague, for for example. Mm. Camus wrote about the uh, German invasion of France and the resistance, where Saramago created, I think, a more timeless and universe, universal description and critique of uh, human behavior, of uh, humanity and its civilization. But both novels have um, also uh, aspects in common. They highlight uh, things like human dilemmas, like uh, cowardice versus engagement, opportunism versus small heroism, pettiness and egoism versus generosity. And they also refer to great and almost eternal human ideals like the necessity of love and goodness, happiness, mutual connection and so on. But one of the great differences is that Camus' novel lacks important female characters. And in this sense, I feel it is somewhat uh, old fashioned and it might be questionable if it will prevail in a post patriarchal world. Mm. Uh, because Saramago's wife of the doctor in blindness is, um, I think, an absolutely outstanding literary figure. She combines aspects of a classic tragical hero with those of a modern existentialist individual. And she even offers sometimes glimpses of an almost eco-feminist activist. Saramago has been one of the first male authors in Portugal who um, intentionally deconstructed patriarchalism uh, in his literature and his women protagonists are altogether admirable. Mm. But I think that many readers also returned to blindness because it is a powerful political uh, metaphor, especially for our postmodern neoliberal 
partially already post-democratic and and um, sometimes increasingly illiberal societies in the West. There's the fear of a loss of democratic freedom, which many Europeans shared during the confinement, and the feeling that this loss may happen rapidly from almost one day to the other, uh, and that our political and health systems, for instance, are incapable of dealing rapidly with such an epidemic, and that they are incapable of efficiently saving, that we are incapable of efficiently saving lives without excessive restriction of freedom, and that we cannot deal in a reasonable way with the dilemma between saving lives and the planet, or just saving capitalist economy. And uh, the ethical and political background of these and many other problems of our time is, is, is central to Saramago's writing. Mm. And I found it almost an, an irony of fate when, when blindness was adapted in, in last August um, in London by Simon Stevens as one of the first plays staged uh, according to the um, social distancing determined by the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And uh, in order to better adapt it, they, they, um, they chose to redesign the play as a sound installation in mm. which the public listened through headphones to the text narrated by only one actress. Unfortunately, I didn't see it, but um, this reinforcement of the idea of isolation and this double distancing must have been quite impressive. Mm. And there's another aspect why blindness uh, might be considered politically very up to date. Um, Saramago often said um, uh, uh, when he when when he gave interviews after pub, uh, after the publication of the novel um, that um, this book was criticizing and unmasking um, a, a rotten and disengaged society, as he said, and that this rottenness is because we, as Western societies, became increasingly blind because instead of tackling the big problems. We prefer to see less and even today we still prefer not to look and I think things have not changed. It, uh, it has been pointed out, for example, that the COVID-19 epidemic is only a result of climate change, ultimately of, the, uh, of what they call the Anthropocene or what others call uh, even the Capitalocene. Global warming, growing epidemic dangers, migrations, uh, uh, political unrest and so on are seen by many scholars as a clear consequence of capitalism. And Saramago uh, referred to many of these interrelations already before his Nobel Prize in, in uh, 1998. And with blindness, he became, um, uh, he became a kind of Tiresias of our Western civilization. Mm -hmm which is falling apart. Mm. Well, I don't know if this answer met your expectations. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the thing is falling, our, our civilization might be falling apart, but the book ends nice. <laughs> yeah, <Even it> though, <laughs> so, so I think that's also very important that we, 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 we can get through this. And I think that's also an important message from the book that there are very dire situations, but mankind can also be kind and can get through it. But um, I think blindness shouldn't have been the only book uh, by Saramago people should have read or reread. I think, for example, that also the history of the siege of Lisbon should have been up there in these lists as well. In fact, in our COVID world where numbers are written down, then changed and then rechanged once again, the story of the proofreader Raimundo Silva, who changed the fundamental sentence in a history book 
by simply inserting the word not should have been equally revealing today. Oh, yes, indeed. Um, um, there are many books of Saramago that we could relate to what has happened in this last year. But uh, uh, in the history of the siege of Lisbon, you mentioned um, uh, Raimundo Silva inserted this not in a manuscript yet to proofread. And he uh, did it because he decided to deny official mm -hmm. history's affirmation um, uh, that the Templars helped the Portuguese conquering the city of Lisbon in the Middle Ages. Uh, he found it necessary to introduce an error because he wanted to promote a shift of attention. We could reproduce that, tra tra uh, that strategy of him, for example, um, in a sentence like this. We could say, today, the COVID pandemic is not our main problem. But who would not agree that it is our most urgent problem? What's the use of denying something that seems to be so evident? Wouldn't that be another kind of Trumpism? Mm. Uh, but I don't think so, uh, mm. because the world's main problem remains climate change. Obviously, the COVID pandemic has to be solved, but it also blinds us. The climate clock says we have six years left to avoid the worst. Other scientific institutions say we have 12 years left, others a tiny bit more. But all agree that within the next two decades, we will be facing events that might be much worse than COVID-19. Mm. Um, but we should also read or reread other books of Saramago. Um, and I think you, you will agree with me that uh, Seeing, published in 2004, is one of them. Mm -hmm. And this novel is somewhat a continuation or better a completion of the essay on blindness. In Seeing, people become lucid and a vast majority of voters cast blank ballots during an election. The government reacts aggressively, accusing his own citizens of terrorism. Um, and I think it's about how our supposedly democratic institutions fail to respond to reality, mm. as Saramago had always warned they would. Mm. Um, and there's an, an, an interesting text by Ursula K. Le Guin, whose literary work I consider philosophically uh, as important as Saramago's. Uh, and she said that seeing says more about the days we are living in than any book she had read. Mm. Unfortunately, she died in 2018 and we will not know how she would have related the recent pandemic mm. to Saramago's writing. But um, the anarchical action Raimundo Silva takes in uh, the history of the siege of Lisbon, the way or the way in which the wife of the doctor in blindness takes the law into her own hands, besides so many other examples in Saramago's fiction, can be compared to the situation um, of the police commissioner in seeing. Mm. There's the idea of freedom as a moral orientation of the liberating character of action be it individually or collectively. Almost all of Saramago's protagonists break in certain moments with the given circumstances. Mm. They take free choices that transcend their individuality, but they always take others in consideration. In mm. seeing, um, I think the idea of freedom appears in a very Sartrean way, as a liberating political action, as an individual practice by the commissioner, but also uh, a collective one by the survivors of blindness and all those who had cast blank ballots. Mm. They all take responsibility for the action and in their social and historic context, of course. And Saramago suggests that any ethical and moral orientation can only be deduced 
deduced from this kind of uh, ontology of freedom? Um, well, more or less, that's uh, that's what I think about it. Okay. Now, and, and I think maybe next elections will prove how prophetic uh, his book seeing was. <laughs> now, maybe changing the context of COVID and entering a little bit more into Saramago's work. I think the, the last question uh, brings us also to one of the fundamental aspects in Saramago's writing, namely his peculiar take on history. And I remember one of his most poignant phrases in responding why he wrote historical novels. He, and, and I always imagined him smiling when he gave this answer. So he responded that his intention was to seek out what had been forgotten in history. Could you maybe expand on this thought, please? Um, yes, thank you. Um, uh, the way how history is written and, um, and, and by whom it is written is one, I think, one of the great topoi of Saramago's fiction and essays. And uh, he repeatedly um, insisted on the well-known fact that history is always written by the winners. Mm -hmm. And these winners uh, used to be men. Um, official history lacks, uh, obviously, the perspective of those underprivileged, of women, of the marginalized, uh, and so on. In the history of the Siege of Lisbon, uh, the protagonist Raimundo Silva intentionally rewrites the traditional perspective of how, um, uh, very specifically, a Galician Portuguese army conquered Arab Lisbon in the Middle Ages. Mm. He describes the process no longer as a so-called reconquista, as a reconquest, which is what the um, educational systems in Spain, Portugal, and also around the world still transmit mm. quite stubbornly, I think, generation after generation. But there was no reconquest because um, the kingdoms of Portugal and Spain did not yet exist when the Arab Berber invasion took place. Mm. Um, and Portuguese and Spaniards conquered and colonized the, a multicultural south of the Iberian Peninsula and assimilated its population. But even modern historiography resists a redefinition of this myth because uh, obviously Christian Catholic culture remains very dominant. Um, today we are facing a, a, a growing insecurity of how we should uh, interpret reality and Saramago always pointed uh, at what uh, official history left and leaves out. Um, well, um, I, I, I can't help getting back to the COVID pandemic because it shows, again, <laughs> how little attention we pay to those who are the real losers, mm. those who those without access to hospitals and vaccines, like mm. uh, the indigenous people in Brazil, for for example. Mm. Um, viruses brought by Europeans uh, killed millions uh, since the Portuguese arrived in the 16th century. And not only that, these indigenous people still have to defend themselves against um, the myth of having been discovered or against an ongoing colonization by an aggressive capitalist economy. But on top of that, nowadays, miners and woodcutters also spread coronavirus amongst them. Mm. And uh, Saramago would certainly have stood up against these, uh, this second wave genocide, which is going on there, with the approval of the Bolsonaro government. Mm. And that's a genocide that the Brazilian government is committing against his own people. Mm -hmm. uh, so the official history of this situation is as deficient as the history of the origin of Portugal's kingdom in the Middle Ages. It's a kind of almost intentional blindness. And mm. that's also what Raimundo Silva's subversion is about. Mm. Saramago 
um, obviously, obviously always tried to turn the forgotten visible and to empower them at least through fiction. Um, be it the more the poor peasants in the Alentejo before the revolution and raised from the ground, or the um, 4,000 workers who built the convent of Mafra in Baltazar and Blimunda. Um, but as, as you have pointed out, he also frequently denied being a writer of historical novels. Mm. He maintained that all fiction is historical and that uh, he uh, was only committed to what uh, he once called reinventing history mm. in the sense of bringing to the surface what had been excluded, silenced. Mm. And he compared the novelist to the historiographer because he couldn't conceive an apprehension of the world that was not fictional. Mm. Today's neuroscientists and cognitivists would love him for that because our memory is highly selective. Mm. Uh, so in, in one of his most crucial essays, which, uh, uh, which is uh, titled uh, History and Fiction from 1990, he said that uh, both writer and historical researcher are what he called choosers of facts and makers of history. And I think he was also trying to achieve not only a different discourse or alternative narratives, but even a new language, free from patriarchal and traditionally ideological constraints, able to rewrite and change history through poetical expression. Mm. He wanted to show us what is um, uh, heterogeneous to meaning and that everything is open to social historical constraint. In a long interview he published in 1998, he said that um, his conception of rewriting history was an attempt of a, uh, what he called a totalizing description of trying to say everything. That is also to say an attempt of including all voices and perspectives which used to be excluded. Of course, uh, uh, today I would say in a decolonized, non-hierarchical, even anarchical sense. Well, perhaps this is more or less what you had in mind. <laughs> Thank you. Now, let's return for a minute to blindness. Now, it has been claimed that after the Gospel of Jesus, something changed in Saramago's work. And Saramago himself also alluded to this change. Now, most scholars uh, have called uh, the work beginning from blindness uh, his so-called allegorical work. Could you maybe explain to our listeners what is meant by this and then maybe afterwards we can discuss a bit what I think is uh, somewhat mistaken uh, with this terminology. Okay, um, well the first time Saramago mentioned this change in his work was in, was in a uh, lecture in Turin in Italy in 1998 shortly after the uh, Nobel Prize. Um, where he compared his work to a stone statue um, mm. until the gospel according to Jesus Christ uh, in he, he published in 1991 he said that you would have been describing the surface of the statue but since blindness uh, he said he was trying to describe the material itself he wanted to penetrate the interior of the stone looking for what he thought to be essential for what usually remains hidden yeah. It was, of course, a quest for an even deeper understanding of things, but there's also um, more to it. Because the gospel, according to Jesus Christ, had been censored by Portugal's neoliberal government, who removed his name from a proposal list for the, uh, for the European Union uh, Prize for Literature in mm -hmm. 1992. And in the aftermath of the uh, following polemic, 
Saramago decided to leave Portugal and to start a new life in Lanzarote. Mm. Mm-hmm. And later on, he even described this island as his personal stone raft in allusion <laughs> to the other novel of the same mm-hmm. title from 86. Mm-hmm. But in an essay he wrote for the Times Literary Supplement, uh, uh, which was published in, in 88, I think, he already had made it quite clear that um, this shift away first from Portugal, then from Europe, began very early in his life. And paradoxically, this becoming more and more universal of his work and thinking helped to root himself even deeper in his Portuguese and originally rural identity. Mm. Um, There's another Portuguese writer who uh, also spent uh, his his whole life outside of Portugal, who was Jorge de Siena, um, and he who went into exile during the dictatorship um, and became one of the greatest modern Portuguese humanists and universalists. And Saramago somewhat followed his footsteps and became also a great modernizer of Portuguese and Iberian culture. And this idea of trans-Ibericity of his is, I think, is one of the most operative terms to describe um, today uh, and to think all those cultures which were triggered by Portuguese and Spanish colonizations. And that's quite a big part of our planet. But um, you are also right uh, that there's indeed a lot of imprecise terminology used to describe Saramago's writing and thinking. Um, Let's take the term magical realism, for instance, a a European invention to Mm. describe a Latin American and African literary Mm. cosmovision and style, which certain Western perspectives were not able to understand. Mm. And Saramago's use of fantastic elements um, cannot be seen as um, as analogous, for example, to that of García Márquez, mm-hmm. uh, whose influence on Saramago is sometimes overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, Saramago's use of what we might call fantastic or supernatural events is always a tool for questioning standardized social and political history and its narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, he asks, "What if this world would? Ha- uh, what if this would have happened?" What if people could do this? Mm. And what if we could change things this way? And uh, the idea is, of course, to show the reader something very Marxist on the one hand and very existentialist on the other. Um, Like you as a human being can always make something meaningful of what the circumstances did with you. But in order to do so, you must translate me. You Mm. must interpret me critically. As Saramago once said, we are all translators, and mm. translation is always political. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree, and 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 I also think, and and I, I particularly don't like the idea of the allegory here, because I think it's a, a refuge. I think it's it's a, a means to make the so-called romanticized in in in, in intrinsic ideas that Saramago puts forward of taking them not really seriously. Yesterday, for example, I was reading, and I think this this is a good allegory if we want. I was reading something that Benjamin wrote on the prose of Kafka. And so Benjamin said that Kafka's texts, they are not parables, but neither are they texts that one can take at face value. And I think this is pretty much what, what is going on with, with Saramago's text as well. They are not allegories, but they're also not realistic novels. 
and it i i would call them in a certain sense the the agambian paradigm it's something that he thinks about that he invents or that he fictionalizes but that also could become in in the real and i think especially with seeing and also with blindness because these are the two books that i i, I care most about in saramago's mm. over i think that they are really and 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 this pandemic again turning back to it this is what really is happening today mm-hmm. um yes yes of course um well uh this uh the question of the um of the allegorical of the allegory um what most critics mean when they speak of the allegorical and saramago's writing is uh is of course often a simplification mm. um, um um mostly in literary studies and i agree that there's a generally improper use of this term saramago did not create allegories in the sense of uh, say rhetorical tropes or mm. uh, an allegoresis in the theological sense mm. what uh, we can of course use uh, we can of course use the word in a meaning restricted to literary studies where allegoresis is just a hermeneutic technique but what Saramago is concerned I would prefer and I agree with you um, uh, a usage of the ter- of the term following the redefinition which proposed Walter Benjamin Benjamin's understanding of allegory is that um, well I'm not a philosopher but I I would say it's a kind of dis- dissociation of a profound difference between the use of language and its cultural past of something which breaks up any classical uh, metaphysical relation between the image's being and its meaning. And this understanding of allegory relates uh, always to decay, to the finitude of everything which is historical or natural. The work of art can no longer be seen seen as a totality capable of conciliating contradictions. Benjamin's materialistic redefinition of allegory represents a sort of deconstruction and a kind of anticipation, perhaps, of Derrida, and it's up to the reader, to us, uh, and there we come back to Saramago, to reconstruct meaning, at least partially. Mm-hmm. As with Benjamin, there's also in Saramago an ongoing and never-ending process of deconstruction, uh, deconstruction and reconstruction of meaning, a, uh, as Benjamin said, a continuum of transformations, mm-hmm. uh, and I even would say a continuum of translations. Mm-hmm. And in a somewhat comparable way, I think we could say that Saramago created blindness and seeing as allegories, but it's it's quite um, it would be necessary to explain this very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this sense, they are allegories which are also which also deconstruct and ultimately deny any metaphysical meaning. And this is very important because uh, Saramago's atheism is absolutely fundamental for an appropriate understanding of his writing and thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I would also maintain that with Saramago happens something very similar as with Sartre. If we don't accept their atheism, we will never fully understand their thinking. Mm. And um, I say that because in literary studies, there are lots of people who are trying to save Saramago <laughs> uh, from atheism. Mm. And uh, there are many attempts to try, that tried to force any uh, some kind of spiritual interpretation on Saramago's writing mm. and thinking, uh, which of course are a fallacy. Mm. But these desperate misinterpretations also show how difficult it is still for many of his readers to accept a literature that not only denies transcendence, but 
where the Christian God, when he appears, and he appears quite often, mm. happens to be the bad guy, and mm. it's Bible, a compendium of bad habits. Uh, mm. That's the words, uh, that's the expression Saramago used uh, once. Mm-hmm. But I agree, it's um, it's not enough, and per, it's even perhaps futile trying to save the the term allegory. Um, <laughs> Uh, you are right. There's there's indeed something more important, uh, and that's uh, the paradigmatic character uh, mm. uh, in blindness and seeing. And um, uh, already from an etymological point of view, uh, and the meaning of example, model, sample, exactly. uh, of something a priori to experience, although mm. it always has to be compared to experience in Saramago. Sure. And you are also right in when you highlight the importance of the essayistic character uh, mm. of Saramago's writing, which I also think is fundamental. Mm. Blindness and seeing are essays because they imply that there is a kind of um, setup of an experiment. Mm. Um, as always, Saramago wants to know what happens if. Mm. He once said he was an essayist who needed to write novels because he didn't know how to write essays, <laughs> which was, of course, an understatement because mm. many of his novels are excellent essays. Mm. But this uh, essayistic character of his novels uh, um, is, is, is very important because it always raises new questions, outlines new problems. And he developed a style which um, intentionally tries to avoid moralizing and dogmatic doctrines. Uh, Saramago was an admirer of Montaigne, uh, mm. not of Francis Bacon, because like Montaigne, he always uh, allows the reader to make his own associa- associations. He even requires him to develop his own views and thoughts. And besides, he was obviously a political uh, essayist, and therefore he was harshly criticized by conservatives and the church. Montaigne's essays were placed on the index, and even at the end of the 20th century, an essayistic novel of Saramago became uh, censored. And in this sense, it is indeed a pity that the English English translations decided to uh, domesticate the titles of blindness and seeing. Um, there should have been uh, essay on blindness, essay on seeing, evidently. And Benjamin would have said that there are bad translations, at least what the titles are concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in making the circle round, I would like to conclude by having a look at seeing and how lucid one needs to be. And, and I want to end this with a provocation. Now, for as much as we already explained, this is a rather thoroughly disturbing novel. Again, not an allegorical one, but a paradigmatic one. I cannot think about this text as not being also one of the most hopeful ones that I think I've ever read. Even though all social political structures have collapsed in the novel and the people, but and, and the people uh, are abandoned by uh, their political leaders, They, however, don't abandon themselves then in the orgiastic explosion of violence that has been predicted by the former government. And I think that, uh, first of all, this is very true. And it has also recently been confirmed by a lovely book called Humankind by uh, Rutger Bregman. But secondly, I think it's also important because it goes against so much of our dystopian literature and dystopian political theory. And, and, and... I don't think, by the way, also that that is exclusive to seeing uh, in, in Saramago's work as well. I think there's, it's always there. So would you agree with this, that there's this, 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 even though this negative, harshly negative, realistic view, there's also this possibility of a positivity in the end? 
Um, yes, yes, there, there, there is. The only thing I would I, I, I would say is that we have um, to put it in a in a in a very specific context, um, which is uh, which is a bit difficult for me to uh, uh, to explain because um, there's still a, a great debate going on uh, on this uh, within literary studies because Saramago is, as, um, as you have pointed out, a, considered a, a very pessimistic author. Mm -hmm. But I agree that this is not the, uh, the central point. Um, uh, as we have already said before, all his fiction was about this world, about mm -hmm. real people, but also other animals, about mm -hmm. real suffering, about solidarity, about changing the circumstances in a human way about uh, ethic responsibility and that's also why his thoughts and literature could be transformed into uh, a proposal of a universal charter of duties and obligations of the individuals which has already been submitted to the United Nations mm. because Saramago suggested that the human rights charter is not enough to guide uh, to guide humanity mm. um, and uh, uh, there is uh, uh, there is there's, there, there is of course a positive a positiveness and hope in Saramago. But um, uh, there is also this other aspect, uh, which uh, people like to call his pessimistic character. Well, there's of course an aspect of Portuguese mentality here, but that's perhaps not, not so much interesting uh, uh, for our discussion. But uh, what is interesting is um, uh, uh, reminding uh, his last diary of Lanzarote, which was only discovered recently in an old computer of his and it was edited in 2018, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And in this diary, which he wrote uh, in, 19, um, in 1998 during the Nobel Prize year, um, he's, uh, he said that after blindness, something changed in him. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said that this was especially in relation to literature. Um, uh, he said it was not only that his writing style had changed, but uh, he also began to question um, the concept and idea of literature itself. He said that he was no longer interested in talking about literature, that he even doubted that it was possible to talk about literature. Mm. He left that unexplained, but we can imagine a lot of things, uh, many interpretations, and I think perhaps what he felt uh, was that writing literature, um, it was, uh, uh, which was certainly for him, had been for him an act of desiring freedom, as, Sarah, as Sartre would have put it, but uh, that this was not enough. Um, before, during and shortly after the Portuguese Revolution, uh, writing certainly had been for Saramago an act of liberating humanity. Mm. But through the change he underwent, underwent after blindness, I think he felt that literature was excessively strangled by uh, things like the uh, regime of textual genres, critical narratives, cliches, the, uh, the lit literary market uh, and so on. And um, he surely want, always wanted writers and artists to intervene, uh, to be political, but he also was very skeptical what the supposed power of literary fiction was concerned. Mm -hmm. um, because he already had abandoned and transformed neorealism long ago. Mm. Uh, he, uh, on the one hand, he didn't want to be characterized as a writer. Uh, with a project or a mission of cultural, social, and political intervention, he felt that he was that he um, uh, uh, that what he had done was not enough. That such projects must fail, and that these kinds of missions are only for blind believers. Mm. Perhaps only people with a deep-rooted rural background 
like like his and who uh, who 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 know what poverty really is are capable of this humbleness and critical self-awareness but for many readers he was and still is a writer with a political message that gives orientation in a world which is out of joint mm. and they are absolutely right and here comes the positiveness and the hope um uh, because this kind the optimism we can retrieve from his work and activism lies precisely in this contradiction that of a humble man who did not want to believe in the power he had mm but who assumed the necessity of a political way of life, of an ethics of individual and collective responsibility in defiance of all these inevitable pessimisms which the circumstances impose on us. Hmm. I don't know if I... No, if no, I no, it, myself. It, 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 yeah, you do, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and I was recently working on Raymond Williams and I found uh, some of his considerations of hope to return so much in uh, Saramago as well, because it's a hope that it's not just the hope that is put out there and let's just hope all things go well. It's it's hope as a practice, as a means to actually do something, and especially a hope as practiced by the common people who think they are not able to do it, but who in the end always turn out to be the ones who actually do it. And so I thought that, so I, I completely agree with, with the positivity in Saramago needs to be contextualized extremely well, because it's not just something out there are everything as well all is good and all is happy no it's not that so so i think you you made that perfectly clear and uh, thanks for this now before we said goodbye uh, next year 2022 will be an important year for all those interested in saramago's work it will in fact in fact be the centenary of his birth what is there planned at your university because I think asking what is planned in the world is probably too much to mention. <laughs> oh yes, there will be uh, there will be lots of things going on, uh, especially in Brazil uh, and also in Portugal, uh, obviously. Um, but uh, let me just say that uh, already in December this year we shall have our sixth International Saramago Conference. But uh, obviously we are already preparing what uh, what is to uh, what will be happening uh, in 2020. Uh, with the uh, celebration of the 100th birthday and hopefully the seventh international conference uh, will be on uh, Saramago's philosophical and political heritage, an idea and title we uh, borrowed from the excellent book you and Carlos Salzani edited in 2018. And I think it's uh, really a good moment to, uh, to get back um, to uh, uh, relating Saramago with uh, philosophical thinking and also with uh, with political uh, thinking and and action, mm. and I hope we will see uh, see us in person then. Um, I couldn't <laughs> agree more with the importance on the philosophical importance in Saramago. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for this, Burgard. It has been a real pleasure talking to you about Saramago, about whom I could go on for days on end, but I won't. <laughs> so thank you all for listening to one more episode of Picked Voices, and thank you, Burkhardt, for being with us. And maybe we will meet on some of the many events on Saramago, as I sure will try to attend some. My name is Christoph van Houten, and thank you and goodbye. Thank you very much.